Please turn with me in your Bible this morning to James chapter 1 as we continue our studies in this new series entitled Design for Growth as we read James chapter 1 verse 12 through 19. If you're watching from home this morning, a warm welcome to you and thank you for joining us. And each Sunday morning when we open up and study the scriptures here at First Presbyterian, please feel free to do that at home as well. When we pause in moments of prayer, please participate likewise. And if you know the hymns and see the words on the screen, please make this a worship you participate in and enter into and trust you will sense the enabling presence of God as you do. James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us. This reading from his word. Last Sunday morning, when we began this new series of studies for the fall season, I suggested that New Testament scholars have something of a consensus when it comes to James in terms of it being one of the most practical and hard-hitting epistles of the New Testament. And that's certainly the case. We saw some of that last week, and we're going to see it again this morning. Last Sunday morning, we focused on verses 3 and 4, or 2 through 4 rather, when James wrote those remarkable and yet difficult words when he said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that was where we were focused last Sunday morning. Those first words almost strike as not so much as a paradox as an absurdity. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And we said last Sunday morning that whenever trials and testing come our way, God sometimes will bring them, sometimes he will allow them. But the outcome of trials and testing should be this that he strengthens us, he enables us to stand strong, mature in our faith, complete, so that whenever anything comes our way, we will know how to respond and handle it in a Christ-like manner. That's exactly what James is saying here. So he's saying whenever testing and trials come our way, it's an opportunity for growth and learning and to become more Christ-like. And then, as we come into the second part of the first uh, section, he's going to take us a little further. He highlights for us the difference between trials and testing on the one hand and temptation on the other. And in the mind of James, they are not the same thing. Temptation comes not from God to make us stand and build us up, 
but rather that it comes from the devil to enable us to what? Fail and fall and to give up. And throughout James, we're going to see again and again that James is not writing to those who want to spend five minutes putting on a show, spiritually speaking, who will begin with a great start and then stop and start and stop and somehow then fall back into defeat and pessimism and apathy and indifference. He's saying, let me equip you. Let me give you the tools. Let me teach you how to grow and mature in your faith so that when difficulties do come, you'll know exactly what to do. And having touched trials and testing last week, this week, he's looking at temptation. And so the issues we'll be focusing on today are how do you deal with temptation when it comes? How do you respond? How can you prepare yourself for coming, for, for its coming? But I have to tell you, it's not easy. Now that will not come as a surprise to any of us because most of us wrestle with temptation in the course of each week between one Sunday and another and sometimes it can be hard. And that's why James highlights and features for us perseverance. And he says perseverance must finish its work. Digging down deep, being willing to sacrifice, being willing to grow and mature, being willing to give up in order to gain the enabling grace of God. At times that is tough. Someone sent me this email a couple of weeks ago and I thought it would be appropriate to share this morning. And it begins with a description of the person who's speaking. And so it begins, me, sobbing my heart out. My eyes are red. My nose is running. I can't see you anymore. I'm not going to let you hurt me like this again. And the physical trainer comes back. It was a sit-up. You did one sit-up. Come on! Ever feel like that when it comes to sin and temptation? Being in a situation where you find yourself with a full and busy day, your schedule is jam-packed, you arrive at the evening, you get home for dinner, before you know it, it's eight o'clock, you're settling down for the evening, and then you realize you did not carve out time for prayer and to spend in his presence that day. And you think, ugh. I am just so tired. I didn't get around to doing half the things I should have done. And now I need to go and pray. Well, the Lord will understand and I'll handle it tomorrow. He won't mind. Then the next day is almost a repeat of the first day. And then you think, well, I got past yesterday without praying. Maybe I can get past the second day. And that which was an exception now becomes the pattern. And James is saying, hold on, slow down, understand what happens when you consistently live like that and then temptation comes your way. And then James will do for us, well actually I think it's a remarkable service he does for us, he slows down temptation play by play, step by step, almost as if you're rewinding it on a large screen television and saying, now wait a minute, help me understand that and explain to me what comes next. How can I do better in this? And that's exactly what James is doing right here. 
And he's saying to us, not only as first century readers, but us today as well, let's examine what temptation is, learn from it, so we will be able to stand up under it. That's the point James is making. And in fact, here it is in verses 4 and 5, or 14 through uh, 15. He says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now let's take it play by play, step by step. When each one is tempted, and notice, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Now what is James telling us? He's telling us this. He's telling us that there are two possible sources of temptation. One, external, the devil's tempting us, but also internal, it's our own evil desires. Now let me explain what I'm talking about here. When we think of sin, we think of it as something we do. And we should. There's no question. It is an action. Sometimes a thought. Sometimes a desire. A motivation. But it's something we are actively engaged in. But please understand and grasp the enormity of what Scripture teaches. Sin is not simply something you do. But rather, as a result of something you do, not only to others, it also impacts you. Now let me explain. Whenever we sin, it lowers our threshold to be involved in sin a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time. In other words, violence begets violence, which brings about more violence. Racism brings about more racism, which brings about more racism. Hatred does the same, as does bitterness and jealousy and lust. One gives birth to the other, and so it goes, and so it goes, and so it goes. And the sin that happens to us, remember what James is saying, that right at the top of the temptation cycle is deception. And deception encourages you to think, actually, the sin I'm involved in is no big deal. Everyone does it. It doesn't really hurt anyone. And so you begin to rationalize and begin to justify. And actually, sin takes away and removes and shrinks your ability to think through what you are doing. I would have to tell you I have lost count of the number of times when someone has come to see me in my office, they have poured out a very difficult situation, and then they will say to me, what on earth was I thinking? Well, they weren't thinking. Because sin begins with deception. It begins up here. I can handle it. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm doing no wrong. But what it does is it shrinks and restricts your capacity and you become desensitized towards it. For those of you who are history buffs, think back to the end of Second World War. 
when Nazi generals and leaders who held national office was put on trial. And again and again and again and again at the end of those trials, when they were finally sentenced and they were asked, do you have any final words to say? And please remember, between 70 and 90 million people lost their lives in the Second World War. And the excuse again and again was this. I was only following orders. In fact, it was much worse than that. They believed they were doing the Rhineland and the Reich a favor by exterminating people in minorities. That's how bad sin gets. Now let me take it another step. Not only is it deceptive, not only does it cause problems for your thinking, back in June 2015, and I've mentioned this before, so please forgive me if you're familiar with this, Dylan Roof, a young man in his early 20s at the time, sat in on a Wednesday night Bible study in Charleston, and after sitting through a Bible study and prayer time for an hour, he withdrew a handgun and killed nine others. And this is what he said several weeks afterwards. I would like to make it crystal clear I do not regret what I did. I am not sorry. I have not shed a tear for the innocent people I killed. He wrote and later continued. I have shed a tear of self-pity for myself. I feel pity that I had to do what I did in the first place. How utterly bizarre and perverse is that kind of thinking that when you murder nine innocent people, you then blame the circumstances around you and not yourself. That's what sin does. does. What was I thinking? It affects your rationale. It affects your will, your motivation, your desire. Sin is comprehensive in the, fact, in the sense that it impacts and infects every area of our lives. Now you may be saying, okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying, but don't you think you're stretching the point a little here? Richard, I don't think anyone sitting in the congregation this morning in the choir loft watching on live stream is going to turn out to be a leader of the Nazi party or a Dylan Roof taking the life of nine others. And I trust and pray you're absolutely right. But let me illustrate it a little closer to home. Something as absolutely innocuous as gossip. When you gossip about, about someone, you have information that others want to hear. It is usually presented in a salacious manner. And what you discover is that you are front and center. You have an audience. People are paying attention to you. You feel large and in charge. You know what they do not. And what you end up doing is pulling someone else down as you build yourself up. That's how subtle sin is. That's how toxic it is. Because when you're engaged in it, you feel fulfilled. That's what James is saying. Be careful. Do not be deceived. That's how powerful it is. And when you're attracted by it and enticed by it, it's going to walk right over you. 
the illustrations James uses, and he uses two of them very powerfully, one from hunting and the other from fishing. The hunting analogy is used nowhere else. The language is found nowhere else in the New Testament. And it talks of being dragged away. And it means this, that the hunter is sitting in the blind, waiting for an animal to come out of the safety of the bushes, foliage, trees, make its way out into the open, baited by something, and then the animal's life is taken. That's the illustration James is using. That's what sin does. James says it leads to spiritual death, toxicity. That's how bad it is. It's almost as if he's saying, folks, pay attention. Be careful when you come to this passage. Read it over and over, play by play. Let me walk you through it in slow motion. The other illustration is that of enticement. And it's used of a fisherman who knows there are fish there in the pond, particularly a fly fisherman, and the fish, of course, is swimming around. Something catches its attention on the top of the water. It goes up, it will catch the fly, come back down, and feel fed and fulfilled. But little does the fish know that the fisherman has put a hook in the fly, and next time it is attracted Next time it is enticed. Next time it believes this will be fulfilling, satisfying. All of a sudden, it catches the fly. No idea that the hook is there. And it's caught. Sin is toxic, enticing. It has a tranquilizing effect on the heart, mind and soul. And it is utterly addictive and enslaving. Utterly. That's how powerful it is. And James is saying, please be very careful when you're involved with it. Notice the steps once more before I move on. Begins with deception. It moves to attraction. Then enticement, then preoccupation. It's all you can think about. It's all happening in the emotion and the will, and it cannot possibly hurt one or do one any harm. And sin is that strange toxic, it has that strange toxicity that it is a suicidal act which hurts the person and kills the person committing it, spiritually speaking. Then it moves to conception, and then sin. And then it begins all over again. And so the question is, how do we break out of this? How do we respond when it comes? And you may be saying, Richard, listen, I'm in agreement with you. But Richard, if we were sitting down having a conversation, and you asked me, was there one area in my life I was struggling with? Frankly, I'm not sure I would tell you. I wouldn't tell you because you would think the less of me if I told you what it was. Please hear me. Healing does not take place in darkness and deception. It doesn't. 
It takes place when the light of God's love and grace shines into that hidden recess, that area which you hold back from Him, that area you never talk about, that area you never name. And there comes a point if you are serious about growing in your faith when you will name that sin in prayer in His presence and say, Father, I'm ashamed of it. I'm hurt by it. I am fed up hurting the people around me. Please, please, oh God, touch me, change me, transform me. Give me the power to deal with this that I might grow in my deep affection for you. For I want to be someone who lives in holiness and purity and righteousness. I do not want to live like this anymore. That's why James is hard-hitting. He never lets us off the hook. He forces us to deal with some of the most unpleasant behavior patterns that are ours. And he calls us to account. And sin is that serious. So how do we respond How do we prepare ourselves for the next time when that sin comes in our direction? Number one, put Christ center in your thinking. Not just your action, but in your thinking. Prayerfully, Lord Jesus, show me how to respond the moment that temptation comes my way. Help me not to be deceived by it. Help me not to be enticed by it. Help me not to believe it's no big deal because it is crushing me. Help me recognize it for what it was and is. I found myself caught yesterday afternoon. I'd been working most of the day. It was about two o'clock. I thought, I'll break for an hour. I'll get back to sermon preparation around three. And I sat down to two o'clock. Something was on TV. And I thought, oh, this will be good. It can kind of get my mind off everything for an hour. And it started to become salacious. And it started to become graphic. At two in the afternoon. And I thought to myself, well, I'll just fast forward. And then I thought, if Christ was sitting beside me, He would not be impressed. I had to stop it. I had to remind myself that he calls me to be holy and pure and transparent. Not, I can deal with it, I'll live with it, I'll just fast forward. Deal with it. Central in your thinking. Central in your emotions. Father, I cannot handle this on my own. I need your enabling grace. I need your power to help me deal with this. Please work in my life. Help me to stand firm so that when trials, testing come, I will be empowered to deal with the temptations. Thirdly, do not ever try to defeat temptation in your own strength. It will not work. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. That's what he said. I will strengthen you. I will enable you. In fact, in James 4, it says this. James says, surrender first to God, then he will enable you. And it's that surrender part. Because all too often I think, it's no big deal, I can handle this. And it is a big deal. Because deception leads to enticement. Enticement to preoccupation. Preoccupation to conception. Conception to sin. Last point this morning. 
theme running throughout these opening words of James, that first section, blessed are those who persevere under trial. Don't give up after one sit-up. Don't pretend it's no big deal. Don't pretend you can handle it. Maturity demands discipline and sacrifice, but never in our own strength. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you that it challenges us and speaks into our lives. And in those days when we are too busy, discouraged, chasing our tail, we ask, oh God, that you would get alongside us and enable us, please, to live for you. Father, those of us wrestling with a besetting sin, a sin we cannot seem to get over, a sin that seems to win victory over us week after week, help us, please, this week, empower us and equip us to live for Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.